0: Welcome to part two of my conversation with Jason Spizak. If you haven't had a chance yet, take a moment and go listen to part one. It's really great. Don't worry, we'll be right here when you get back. And now for side two. So you use Linux to do your voiceover stuff. Oh, I do. Oh, wait, let me back it up a little bit. You do... A- <laughs> bunch of voiceover stuff so much you know this isn't one of your first experiences but so much that you you had to you know we had to keep agreeing to move this date a little bit because you're doing a bunch of cool projects so i did i did they
1: just released the trailer for gears tactics which is a new gears of war uh game it's actually a tacti- tactical which is awesome but it also has really great story um and cinematics so it's like a tactical with cinematics uh it's so fun i've been working on it for about a year and a half and i play Ukon, who is the inventor of all the locust weaponry it's a prequel the game is and uh he's in the comics actually Ukon is and so he's a seven foot tall (laughs) lizard creature who sounds nothing like me (laughs) but you sound like him that's the interesting thing uh, that that was just announced, I think, yesterday or the day before. The trailer for it is wicked awesome. Oh, cool! Uh, and and ever you know, so I do a lot of voiceover.
0: And so you may have a few studios. I do. I
1: have. <laughs> we're riding down the brunch with Brent freeway, and we're taking the Segway. <laughs> I have a studio in Los Angeles, and uh, it's just a closet, a converted closet. I'm not going to say I got my studio in Los Angeles. It's just just those are the best. You should see what I'm sitting in right now. <laughs> right. It's it's a closet in a I rent a place in Pasadena and the landlord has been kind enough to let me just have the closet be a converted studio. That I can by the way take down at any time cuz it's made out of PVC and moving blankets and it's very cool. That's a build for another day. Uh and then at my home in Phoenix uh outside of Phoenix in Mesa uh I have a converted closet there too that I'm in right now. And it's super simple i have a monitor on a stand that's attached to the wall and above that is my microphone i've got a scarlet i think it was an i2 yes this is a two-port i2 with an xlr jack plugged into it it's usb connected to my linux box my linux box is running kde neon uh and it's i use audacity so because in my business you don't need to produce your auditions. You really shouldn't. They, they frown upon that. You would heavily produce your auditions with music and transitions. Uh, you just They really just want to hear what your voice sounds like. You'll still use compression and normalization and everything, but uh, they want to hear what your, your natural voice sounds like or the voice you're creating sounds like without any shenanigans. And I use Audacity, and I do, I, let's see, 20 auditions a week easily. I'm in my studio for hours and hours every day, and uh, I have three waiting for me that are due on Monday. <laughs> you got work to do, <laughs> and everything from Taco Bell's new nachos party packs uh, ads to Toyota—I got a Toyota spot that's running—and uh, two video games, uh, animated series. I'm on DC Superhero Girls. I was—I'm on Young Justice. I play Forager and Kid Flash, Wally West on Young Justice. Which was brought back by the internet after it was canceled on Cartoon Network. So, um, yeah, I do I do a lot of voiceover, and I, I love my job. I've always done cartoon voices ever since I was a kid, imitating Mel Blanc and stuff. You know, sitting too close to the TV. <laughs> it was, I went out to LA to you know be an on camera actor, and they were like, "No, no, no, you, we don't need your on camera, but you sound great, and you can do voices." So <laughs> it's just what I ended up making making money was the only way I, you know, it's, it's the thing that I ended up supporting myself with. So,
0: Well, you're in good company. I mean, uh, us podcasters, so we feel much the same,
1: I think, right? Sure. Oh, the renaissance of radio is amazing. It was dying a hard death with corporate control. And this is truly the renaissance of radio. And because our commutes are longer now, we, you can listen to long form things like Brunch with Brent. If our commutes weren't this long, nobody'd listen to this. <laughs> Uh, thank you Exoburbs. but I feel like podcasts in so many ways are what radio never was in many ways they're not commercially controlled at least a lot of the podcasts that are out there have much less corporate control and some of them have ads and things like that but (laughs) the person reads the ad and then they move on they're not spending a lot of time in their brain thinking about their advertiser per se right or worrying if they're going to cancel the podcast some may be but there's a lot that aren't that are, for, you know, free as in freedom, in, in addition to being free to download. Um, yeah, so I love listening. I have a drive from Phoenix to L.A. that's six
0: hours, and I make it once a week. So you listen to a thing or two, I would imagine. <laughs> right.
1: Which is, in fact, how I found Linux Unplugged. It was the last one on my list. I'd listen to every podcast in the world <laughs> first. And then there it was sitting there and I'm like, oh, should I listen to this one? I don't know. I don't know about that icon. I don't know. Then she's big and changed the icons. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'll listen to that.
0: The reason um, you and I even have run into each other is because you were so kind as to email JB and say, Hey guys, been listening for a while. Um, how long have you been listening, and, and why did you even reach out in the first place? Are you asking me why I'm stalking the boards here? You know, it feels like a real treat that you did, but, <laughs> but you know, why are you and I sitting in the same virtual room right now? I like that you're just you're calling me out for lurking on the boards <laughs> right now. He's like,
1: yeah. So, Jay, how long have you been lurking? Be honest. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I've been lurking for what, what, months.
0: <laughs> I've been trying to tell stories here of some of our JB community, right? And I'm, I'm constantly being pleasantly surprised by the great variety and huge reach of some of um, that community. Are you mean we're not all assholes? <laughs> uh, we,
1: we, except for me,
0: we have uh, a really great
1: group of people, I think, that surround the open source community, and I, I'd like to think that we're special in that regard. I don't know if we are because I'm not uh, as deep a member of of many other communities, perhaps the green building community and those guys are all pretty cool too generally, but just the community feel of the podcast where he goes around Chris goes around the mumble room and, uh, where the, the podcasts on the Jupiter broadcasting slate just have this easy going. We have some people on sometimes, sometimes another person's a host feeling about them and it's just, uh, a relaxed way of dealing with your audience that is very palpable and enjoyable. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's also fun to listen to. I mean, you know, (laughs) I'm interested in the topic also, but... (laughs) That helps. (laughs) I mean, your, your human interest podcast is like, it's also super cool. It's not strictly about Linux, you know? So,
0: because ultimately it's the human story that interests people. Well, it turns out that we're all human, or most of us are human. Except me. That is correct. You are correct, or you were. <laughs> I am dating Alexa. I guess I'm. what I'm trying to get to is that it feels like such a treat to be sitting in this same conversation with someone like you, who obviously you have a breadth of experience that I don't because I'm a little bit younger and I've taken a completely different path doing photography stuff, but, but we have many similarities, right? Yeah. I mean, there's you're human, and so am I and you you have a
1: thirst for knowledge. I mean there are some people who don't have a thirst for knowledge and they're not very exciting to talk to. But I feel like when you said photography I will bet there's stuff that you could speak to about doing, you know, high-end I don't know, professional photography here that, that I would be like holy moly. I mean I don't I don't understand I mean I understand that workflow partly from just cuz photos are files perspective, but yeah I mean, you have knowledge to share just the same as me.
0: Yeah, and I th- I feel like that's re- the real beauty, right? Is that we all have these very individual experiences that make us a unique being with unique gifts because of the intersections of all of our interests. So, for instance, like, you've always had an interest in this voiceover stuff, and yet you've also had an interest in Linux. And in your studio, those two are intersecting on a daily basis. So... What a cool place to put that, right? Yeah. And I'm fortunate in that
1: regard that Linux has come so far that I don't have to drop into N-curses to try and enable my Sound Blaster and it gets all messed up. <laughs> so you've been there. <laughs> oh, I'm about to preach to you. Uh, but I feel like Linux is coming of age to where it's useful for so many things in so many ways that it's that it just wasn't before even a decade ago. But just look at the Raspberry Pi. It's good for so much. Is it a great computer? No. Is it a great computer for a lot of the stuff it's used for? (laughs) Maybe not. But it's the fact that there's so much sharing going on involved with the ideas and that I can just take a Raspberry Pi and do this. It's an enabler. Again, it's the microcosm of what's it like to share human knowledge. And wow, look how effective that is. Really effective. When there's no restrictions on it and everybody's, you know, scratching their itch with it. It's incredibly powerful and fast. The level of innovation that's capable of, you know, we're capable of achieving as a species is incredibly fast in timescales. It's just nutty when we work together. And my Linux studio is just an example of that. I mean, that and I love KDE, I'm so glad that Neon came out because for the longest time, KDE was trying to find its way and then Frameworks 5 came out and then like it was the redheaded stepchild of many distros because it wasn't quite, you know, the transition to 5 wasn't effective because a lot of people were still using 4 and they didn't want to switch. And are you going to do to me what 3 did to me? Don't do that to me, you know, and I want KDE 3 better. And eventually I feel like KDE Neon, which is a stable base of Ubuntu LTS, With the latest sauce of KDE, because the project in generally puts out some really great software, is a wonderful combination. And it works for me on a daily basis. And I have had so few problems with it that coming from 1997 (laughs) to today, I'm blown away that I have less problems with this than I have like with a Mac. And having used a Mac for a long time, I'm so grateful for that. And that everybody whose time and effort goes into that, and if I file a bug report here or there, I I don't have any to file. I mean, that's that's crazy. Because, I mean, my use case is pretty flat. I mean, it's turn on Firefox, turn on Audacity, record.
0: (laughs) And then (laughs) I take that file
1: that was recorded and I, I send it somewhere in the browser. I mean, like I use two pieces of software, and if you count the file manager, three, like from a user use case perspective. And it's just a tank. I hit update. I put all my updates in frequently without any trouble. It's crazy. Now, part of that is because I know to buy the right hardware to begin with. So let me preface that for everybody listening, that I use the Focusrite Scarlett i2 because I know it shows up as a device under Linux that is going to be Linux-friendly to the sound system. To Linux, It's going to be friendly to Linux's sound system. I use the hardware, my little nuck that I use, I use it because I made sure that the hardware inside was well-supported under Linux. Like the Wi-Fi, for example. Like, it's Intel Wi-Fi. It works the best because it's Intel Wi-Fi. And it's, if you just come to the table with a little bit of that knowledge, there's a lot more choices out there than just buying from something somebody pre-installed, you know, because it's so easy to install Linux today, brain dead easy. And and then I just don't have any issues. I may mean, I have to create them, you know, like, like you guys, like, hey, right before this recording, I'm going to hit
0: just upgrade. <laughs> and, you know,
1: I'm going to force it just because I want to see how awesome I am.
0: Keep things interesting, right?
1: You're going to bend to my will right before this podcast and I'm going to hit upgrade. I'm going to Change my whole profile around and then you will do my bidding and record this podcast now.
0: <laughs> I've been there.
1: <laughs> because, you know, in a sense, we like, I'm sure that's an exercise of our, our power, a.k.a. our knowledge. We want to feel like we're a little bit, you know, capable. And so we test this, test it that way.
0: <laughs> and that's silly. But also it's this this way of never stopping to learn, right? Sure, it is. Uh, But why do we pick the the learning right before we have to use it? That's just dumb. Forget it. (laughs) Because (laughs) that's the most exciting time, clearly.
1: (laughs) Everybody listening to this, everyone who's been on this show, except for two or
0: three people, have done that. And it's dumb. Don't do that in production. But what do you say to somebody who hasn't seen Linux yet or hasn't even you know, is looking for some hardware and maybe is like, I don't know, like maybe now is the time for me to explore that. Yeah. But you, you have to think about that sentence you said
1: is there's probably not a person in the developed world who hasn't seen Linux yet. They just don't realize it. That's
0: the real trick though.
1: Right? So if you're talking about desktop Linux, proper desktop Linux, because if they're using Android or they're using a Chromebook, I mean, where in the
0: developed world have you, you know, I've never seen Linux. Well, that's not true. You have. I suppose I should be clear about what I mean about Linux. and Yes. Desktop Linux. And and I think what I mean about desktop Linux is actually some of the philosophies you and I were talking about earlier, which is to have some of that feeling of digital independence and some onus in what's happening with your data and those kind of topics, right? And so how do you get someone to transition to that? You can convince them pretty easily that Linux is the right choice for
1: some of those things if they care about those things. I think the biggest challenge is getting people to understand why those things matter. Because if I've got a person who doesn't know Linux and they're unfamiliar with it at all, but they come to me and they go, you know what, I found this cool thing, Home Assistant, because I am sick of my data getting sent. I'm not going to use Alexa, dude. They're in my house spying at me. My buddy Brandon, who's the producer of Young Justice, is this way. He's like, uses a Mac and everything, but he's like, I'm not using Alexa. I'm not using Google, you know, to spy on me. I don't want hockey pucks with, you know, voices coming at me and knowing that every word I say to my children is going out the other end. That person is a little easier to work into the desktop Linux fold because they've already shown that they care some about digital independence, you know. And there's plenty of people who don't. You know, and we just have to understand that, that desktop Linux and in general open source software isn't the answer to a problem that someone doesn't have.
0: Well, what's interesting there is, is they don't even realize that there is a choice or a problem. I mean, there's a lot of people who just don't care. Yeah, but do they not? I guess that's my question is, do, do they not care because they just don't even know it's happening or do they not care by choice? I have to be honest. The people
1: that I've pressed that issue on, and this is just anecdotal evidence, the people I've pressed that issue on think it's futile.
0: Mm, That's what a, what an awful feeling. They really think that
1: so much goes through Amazon and so much goes through Google that even if you were to do all the things you think you're doing, Jason, you're not private. You're carrying around an iPhone right now. They know where you are. Yeah, but I use Apple Maps on my iPhone, not Google Maps. I use DuckDuckGo and not, you know, whatever. And, you know, there's mitigations to give them less data. I don't use Facebook. I don't use Twitter. I don't use Instagram. Well, aren't you boring? You're very boring then. Goodbye. Uh, I don't, I am worried that it's not the reason that people wouldn't be interested in Linux is because if they knew those reasons, they'd say, what's the use? That's the part that really has me worried. Um, And there are some people who really, they just don't care. Most of the people that I've introduced to it Are fascinated by it, if anything. And then I run up against the application firewall where their work doesn't work with it, their university didn't work with it, their whatever. They don't like LibreOffice because it's just not Microsoft Office. And whatever the reason is, paper cut here or there, and they abandon it. But the irony of that is that I haven't had a single person I've handed a Chromebook to yet. Except for one person whose school would not let them use a Chromebook online university.
0: Stop using it. So this is a Linux converted Chromebook, yes?
1: No, no, no. This is just Chrome OS.
0: Just a regular old vanilla, yeah.
1: Just Chrome OS because they were so into the Google apps. So that data point is like, why is that? Why can I hand someone a Chrome OS laptop and they got no problem with it? But when I've handed them Linux laptops in the past, I've run into wrinkles. What's the difference there? Because you and I both know it's just a matter of a few things because Linux, I can make something run like Chrome OS tomorrow, you know, I really could. I could because I could literally download Chromium OS and uh, Gallium, you know, whatever. I could make it run uh, like that. What's the reason? Where does the paper cut slide in there or that they don't like it? I don't know. Or why are you afraid? There are some people who are like you and me who are like, I don't know about Jim. I just don't think I could give him Linux and he'd be okay with it. I just, ooh, I'm a little afraid of that. They're either a little too needy or whatever. I don't know what. But there are sometimes reasons in the back of your mind
0: for certain people also. Well, and those become some of those barriers for us trying to share the things we know are good for us. Who would be? which would be also good for them. You know, that that sentiment you were sharing earlier of like just wanting to spread it widely. But those are some of the roadblocks, right? And I'm not sure we understand them quite enough. I don't know. It's very possible my worries are
1: that if I introduce Linux at the wrong time, they'll never do it, right? Because I have a way and you have a way of... Fail, try, try again. And not everybody's wired this way, especially when it comes to the black magic pixie dust box called the computer. And if I try at the wrong time or if I broach this subject and they're not interested in what they're seeing over my shoulder on my screen or whatever, and then have a bad experience, I've just ruined it. I've just ruined it for them and for me and for open source. And so I got to feel that out gotta be a little careful about that you know otherwise it gets a bad name uh that may be part of it also that we are careful not to put it in a place it doesn't belong anymore if we've been burned like the young linux lover might be like i'm gonna share this with everybody oh yeah check it out everybody loves linux and then pretty soon after you get burnt once or twice you're like okay everybody might like linux you know, try it again. And Linux is pretty cool. What do you think? And that's, I think that could be coloring my perception is because I've been used it for so many years and I may have a bit of an antiquated view because Linux is so much better now than it's ever been. And I'm on guard against that, but
0: it's possible. Well, you've likely had that conversation with users more than many of us, of, of trying to introduce Linux. I mean, you've created a few businesses, right? Yeah. My mom doesn't use Linux. My dad doesn't use Linux.
1: My wife doesn't use Linux. Like, and these are the people that are closest to me, and I love them so much. Of course. My dad is an SAP programmer. I mean,
0: Windows is where he spent his entire life. <laughs> you know? So forget that. And so who are you to convince him that his tool was not good enough?
1: And my mom always gets his old laptop and my mom is not tech savvy in the least. But if there's a problem, he can help her. She's right down the hallway from him. I'm not. I'm in a studio 400 miles away. I can't get a text from my mom when I'm recording Gears of War (laughs) and like help her out. So I'd have to feel like it's worth this. And I just recommended my mom get a Chromebook for the first time, even though in the back of my mind I'm like, eventually that's going to look just like a Chromebook, but it's going to have Core Boot, and it's going to have uh, KDE Neon to make it look like, and she won't even know the difference. and Won't she be happy because she doesn't know? But then part of me thinks, is it worth it if they don't know? Is it worth it if the person running your Linux box doesn't know what, what they have? And it's not. So now I have the mountain to climb of, do I educate them? What will that take? Will they accept it? Will they even understand it? My mom's in her just about. She's, oh God, I can't say her age on the air. She'll find me and hunt me down and kill me. She'll boil me in acid. She's (laughs) older than me. And since she's older than me, by just a small amount, ever so slightly, (laughs) It's sometimes difficult to explain things like this technologically and and educate her on why this makes a difference. Now, she would just blindly trust me, probably. But is blind trust in the person who gives you the Linux machine any different than trusting Microsoft
0: or Apple? It feels much the same, considering you don't know what's actually happening either way, right? She may not have the understanding of what the underlying software is doing, but we do. Well, and that's the fight, is that open source is really valuable to those people who know. Mm -hmm. but there's a whole bunch of people
1: who don't and don't care or don't have the capacity to know and understand that so do we just give it to them and say ask me questions if you want but you don't need to know what's going on behind the curtain it's too idealistic for me to think that i can explain what's going on behind the curtain to everybody who touches it so then should we not create something like chrome os that's completely open and super simple you know Is that what Gallium is? Do we ship that on hardware? Do we all get behind one project? I mean, what's the best way for Linux on the desktop not to be Chrome OS? Very good question. (laughs) I've been around every corner of that idea in 22 years, and I don't have the answer. And I'm of above average intelligence. At least that's what the IQ test said when I was a
0: kid. You said you were so good at connecting dots. Oh, yeah. Sort of relying on you here, <laughs> that's so that you've been listening to this podcast, and this is the big
1: reveal. Jason's going to solve the problem of desktop Linux <laughs> next week on brunch with Brent <laughs> <laughs>
0: so so for you then, where do you take that energy of of just wanting to dive into Linux every single day? Where do you put it now, knowing you're up against some of these challenges? I built. A home assistant system for my
1: dad. I gave it WireGuard. I, uh, my youngest, my oldest nephew, Kai, is a wonderful young man who has a, a thirst for knowledge when it comes to computers. And has ever since he was like five. He's eight now. I've given him a Linux computer, a Raspberry Pi. Helped him install in his computers over Thanksgiving his task was to take this Linux computer where the hard drive had died we put in an SSD together he's eight we put in an SSD together I watched him he did it himself (laughs) that's so awesome (laughs) he put the OS on there he put he goes I go Kai which which OS do you think we want he goes hmm well um XFCE is okay but it's not as capable as kde i think kde neon is really capable and i love the way it looks i can customize it really well so let's go with kde neon okay buddy let's download the image onto this usb stick here okay good we're gonna use dd and get that on there because we only rock the old school crap when i'm training people and i'm like okay Let's go, put it in the side, make sure it boots from the stick. You know how to make sure it boots from the stick? Yeah, you just go in the BIOS and you switch it to make sure if it's not already booting from that. Okay, buddy, go ahead. I'm like, this is old hat to him. He's eight. This is an old hat. Like, yeah, dude, why are you asking me that? It's the BIOS. <laughs> That's so awesome. <laughs> and then we, we, we boot into the OS. He watches the KD Neon install, clicks, you know, clicks the reboot, pulls the USB stick out and everything, and he's just tooling around, and there he goes, you know, I like the desktop with a little bit of a darker theme than this. It comes with this light theme, and I'm not sure that's for me. So he goes into the system settings and pokes a few and goes to the dark breeze theme, you know. And and I just walk away with a big smile on my face because that's a future CEO or software engineer or kernel contributor. And so the answer is I do what I can. That's all any of us can be expected. Share it to those who want to listen. Yeah. You do what you can. You find the avenues, find your strongest soldiers and advocates, give them the weapons necessary. And then, you know, you can help other people along the way. Nothing wrong with giving somebody a Chromebook? It's Linux, and it's also Linux compatible. And just make sure you send it to Matt so he can do the firmware before you give it to your mom. I mean, come on, let's all be realistic. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) Right? I mean, come on.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: But that's the way to think, right? But the way to think is if I can't get you to be my software engineer and I can't get you to understand all of this, how can you help your ne- your grandson? You can help in this way. W- Linux is the disease
0: that'll never leave me. It's the bug, isn't it? <laughs> it is, man. My, one of my first mentors in photography said, oh, geez, Brent, I I think you got the bug. Yeah. And it's hard to get rid of it. <laughs>
1: it sure is. Isn't it? Because the reason is because... You see a task before you and you immediately think how best to solve it is the open source toolkit that includes Linux and friends. Because your eyes have now seen this path, you can't go, yeah, well, I'm just going to buy some commercial piece of crap, you know, and uh, turn it on. Your brain is like, well, this could so much be better solved this way. And, oh, I'm running into the limitations of this piece of hardware that's not really a hardware limitation, it's a software limitation. Ugh, I needed to do this, or whatever. And pretty soon, if you've had exposure to the open source world, you're going to ask questions. You're going to go out there on the internet, you're going to ask people, you're going to see what the, the thing is, and then pretty soon you start working backwards from that, and you only start buying hardware that's open source friendly, and because you don't want to run into a wall. Or, when you do, you want to be able to rebuild the wall, or stucco the wall. Or put a door in the wall. It's not the wall that bothers us. It's the inability to tear it down. Or to do anything with it but stare at a wall.
0: Yeah, I think you've likely described the motivations for many of us listening. Um, You were telling me earlier that uh, you were recently at Comic-Con, which is a huge thing. And I've never been. And you hold a special place there for some people, which is, I'm sure, a nice feeling. This is San Diego Comic-Con we're talking about. like I had been hoping for
1: many, many years to play the Joker. And Mark Hamill plays the Joker in a lot of video games and uh, animated series. And Mark was very busy with uh, Star Wars and a few other things. And he just was like, well, he gets the first shot at playing it. And he did not want to... Play that role in for this particular animated series. He was either a little too busy or he wanted to do another project or whatever as an actor. You know, he has, has a lot of things on his plate. And so Warner Brothers turned to me and asked, will you be the Joker in Batman Hush, which is an animated movie? And I was like, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Don't mess this up, Spizak. And so I did. Uh, I asked them if they wanted me to do something similar to Mark or what was the vein of the Joker, because the Joker can be different stylistically.
0: Like, I also play the Lego Joker Mm -hmm. in movies.
1: I also play the Lego Joker.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I saw the scene with the spoon, uh, which made me laugh.
1: Oh, Spoonie, tell me I'm the best. You're the best Joker. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so I play uh, Lego Joker, but not in the theatrical release that was um that guy from saturday night live or i can't remember the actor's name but um yeah in a lot of the direct to dvd movies and one or two games the serious joker the animated movie batman hush joker um was a little closer to a cross between um probably the joker in the dark Knight and uh Jack Nicholson, somewhere in between those two. Oh, wow. There's a little bit of Cesar Romero thrown in there, sprinkled, because I love, grew up watching Cesar Romero as the Joker on the Batman TV show. <coughs> I'm old! <laughs> but not the the goofy type. There's there's this way of seeing what Cesar Romero is doing as kind of just unhinged and frightening in a way that can be construed goofy, but uh, I wanted to bring some of that unhinged menace like whoa where's this guy going with this
0: um so yeah i got to do i got to be the joker oh hello bats that sounds so frightening in my
1: ears (laughs) it was a lot of fun it was so fun there's a scene in batman hush where he's in the alley and it's famous in the comics batman hush uh it's adapted from a comic uh graphic novel series and there's a scene in the alley where Batman, I'm not going to spoil it for people who haven't seen it, um, almost breaks his code because the Joker has, he thinks the Joker has done something. And it was one of my favorite scenes ever as an actor to act because, you know, it's just wild and unhinged. And this this wild fight between <laughs> the Joker and Batman where Joker's not really fighting. Batman's just literally beating him up within an inch of his life and it's just it was a very intense scene to do
0: as an actor uh yeah and it was so great it was just so great yeah <laughs> it's so fascinating to me that you get to live all of these various characters like you have to kind of become them at least in your own rich imagination right and and to to then tell their story yeah i have to i don't have a i mean there are some people who probably could I know a
1: few of them that can just throw up, spin up a voice and I tend to do a lot of physicality. I tend to do a lot of, uh, you know, certain hold my body a certain way and move my, my hands and my face and everything because it's all linked together to me uh, to fully inhabit something because my job is to get you to never not hear Jason. My job is to just have you not see anything or hear anything, but the character and so when I do Forager on Young Justice, you can hear Forager's voice. You're not hearing Jason anymore. When you're watching this bug with six arms on Young Justice, that's just what your brain is processing. You're like, that's what a bug with six arms from New Genesis sounds like. And uh, the the closer I am to me, uh, the more imagination it takes to definitely imagine that person in a in a circumstance that's different than mine it's different than me right like so Wally circumstance on young justice his voice is pretty similar to mine you can hear his voice when i'm you know when my voice is going on a lot just my normal voice you can hear intonations of wally in there and it is difficult to explain but to make sure it sounds like wally and not jason because they're different it's actually more work it's actually more difficult than to sound like something that sounds nothing like me. Hey, inches above sizzling death, I'm entitled to speak my mind. You know, Wally has a lot of energy and he's a lot, you know, very uh, present and, you know, goofy. A lot of the ways that I'm goofy. And, and you bring yourself into every character. I mean, even in the Joker, as frightening as that sounds, you, you have nothing but your own psyche to process the imaginary circumstance. So you have to do that. Um, you know, ultimately, it's coming through your AI
0: running in your brain. Uh, next question. I'm just kidding. I don't know. Well, next. <laughs> it just, it just, um, I imagine that you don't ever run out of different voices. Me? Because of the rich imagination that you have. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, my imagination
1: has always been one of my greatest assets. Thankfully, uh, there's n- there's no corner to which I don't love to to retreat and, and pull up some wonderful sauce and bring it with me in a bucket to the next moment. Um, I also feel like uh, when I was young, I went on a trip to Disney World, Florida, to Epcot Center. Mm-hmm. This was in seventh grade, and it's really the first big trip outside of you know close to the, my house I'd ever been on. And uh, we went to the Epcot Center, and there's this little place. I'm not sure if it's still there. I haven't been in a long time. Uh, where it's like, like the Imaginarium, I think it's called. And it's they were singing this song, imagination, and you're like, oh, sm-. and as a kid, it was celebrating the aspect of your personality that can create, that can become whatever you want, that can alter reality to become what you'd like it to be, to make the world a better place. All you need is your imagination.
0: And that's true. That really is true. That's why it's so powerful is that it's true. And yet also so often lost. And I I never forgot that. It
1: reinforced me at just the right time, uh, maybe through luck, to understand that my greatest power is my ability to imagine things that are not yet here or things differently than as they are. Uh,
0: and it's a useful tool. It's a useful tool. That's the seeds of innovation, isn't it? I think so. I think so. Um...
1: I'm also a fan of meditation. Uh, for the last four years, I've been doing mindfulness meditation and it has helped me a lot You know, to just be in the moment and not treat anything as negative, whether your foot is sore because you've been standing here talking to Brent in your studio and you feel the walking down the street, the breeze against your fingertips and to be in that exact moment without your brain going anywhere but right here has helped me focus. It has helped me a lot to not get lost in thought, some of which can be negative. And instead, if the thought enters your brain, to not dwell on it and to let it leave just the same way that it appeared, it offers me a great freedom. I have much more control over my emotions and a situation and I'm okay to see where things go. I don't have to think, oh, well, I feel super uncomfortable right now and have to deal with the uncomfortableness. I can just say, oh, well, wow, I feel super uncomfortable right now. I wonder what's about to happen next. And it's really changed my outlook on life and my – I would like to think that it's made me a better actor and a better father and a better human being. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I'm a big fan of mindfulness meditation, actually.
0: What a, what a gift to you as a person do it for yourself right to impact all of those areas i was listening to sam
1: harris and he's you know big into mindfulness meditation and i was like oh that's interesting maybe i'll give that a shot and uh i didn't do it through his app or anything like that i had some i have nasal polyps so you can hear that my natural voice has a little bit of a nasal tonality to it uh, when i'm not trying to get around that um you can hear that my voice has a very nasal tonality to it when i'm not trying and uh that's because I have nasal polyps. It's a genetic condition where the inside of your sinuses has growths. Einstein had it, for example. Bill Clinton had it. and It's just a genetic condition. And, uh, so I had to have surgeries to cut them out. So they use a laser endoscope to go up there. They cut holes in my bones the very first time I ever had the surgery, and they just cut the growths out. And I just need to keep having them cut out because they keep growing. That's just part of my, my genome. And the fourth time I had this surgery, I was in a lot of pain and I just decided to take a little break from life, you know, just two weeks because I'm bandaged up and I'm healing. And I read the Dalai Lama's Art of Happiness. And I'm not a Buddhist, I'm not a religious person at all. But there was a lot of stuff that spoke to me in there. And I was like, huh, he's been meditating since he's four. He has these really cool perspectives. Maybe I could try some sort of meditating. Maybe it will help me. And uh, so I just began my practice. And there was just no way for me to get my brain to stop. I mean, shit, I can't even get my mouth to stop and I'm talking to you for four hours and people are falling asleep and they've gone to go get coffee and make popcorn and then they've come back and they're like, Jesus, Jason's still talking. That one sentence, there's no commas. And I thought, how am I going to do this? My, My brain, my thoughts are just always intruding on the present moment and they're powerful. Powerful imagination. I'm very intellectual. I like to learn things. And just gradually, the same way that you open a door so that you won't make a creaking sound when a baby's sleeping, you're like, I'm going to open the door just a little. And then just a little bit more and just a little bit more and eventually the door is all the way open. Um, I think my door is half the way open. Uh, first it was just seconds. And then it was 10 seconds of peace. And then it was 30 and then it was a couple of minutes, and then it was I can only do this when I'm walking, and now it's like oh I can do this when I'm driving. Oh I can do this when I'm standing in line. Oh I can do this when this person's yelling at me. It's just an eventual place that your mind you make a space in your mind, and initially I likened it to like a a gap, like a you know like if you ever watch a an arc a spark. Uh, you know arc between two contact points, and the the further that gap is the you know the further the electric arc goes and I liken to to the fact that the beginning of my practice, the two contacts were very close together. what would happen in the world would immediately happen in my head and it would immediately come out and that could be thoughts that could be it could happen to the world, and I immediately have these thoughts and I'd immediately be embroiled in these thoughts. I was just widening that gap, so what happens to me i f- feel it, understand what's happening. And then I let it go. I don't hold on to it. I'm not holding on to this thought. It's not circling in a spiral in my head. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. Now I created like a gap, a mini gap. Well, huh. I wonder if I keep doing this, the gap will get bigger. Well, then eventually there's not really a gap. What you're doing is something comes on. It stays for as long as it, stays like like a sound like a bell ringing when the bell stops ringing the sound is gone you can't hold on to the sound any longer than that in your ears it's gone and it and it leaves so eventually it it was more about going from a tiny little gap between the outside world and my thought process and everything else to letting it go completely like there's no other contact instead of there being two contacts really close together That's the only metaphor.
0: That's the only metaphor I have for what meditation did for me. (laughs) Yeah, but it puts it in a visual way that is helpful. Um, I've I've certainly dabbled in some meditation and have known that it's one of the things I should probably do for myself regularly that would help me the most.
1: How did you try? I mean, did you did you did you do walking meditation, sitting? I mean, what
0: what was your what was that like? The attempt to practice. I generally hyperfocus quite easily. And what I mean by that is like, I can dive into something for three hours when I'm learning it um, and I forget about the world. So I think that helps me to be able to sit still. Um, and so I have tried those kind of simple methods of just like, okay, just sitting and watching whatever's happening on the inside. And the first few times I did it, it was, it went from, huh, this is really curious to the second time I did it, or maybe not exactly the second time, but I remember distinctly one of the times I was like, this is a really scary place. Uh, I don't even know what's going on today. Right. And, and it was fascinating to just pause. And that's what I found to be the most powerful. Even if I can't pause my thoughts, I can watch them. And it's like, okay, that is a reflection of the state of being that I'm experiencing currently. And, even just getting that far was like, Oh, okay. This is telling me a lot about myself that I did not know when I'm just busy and busy and busy and busy. I think the idea of examining the state
1: um, is one that programmers can probably understand. And uh, anybody listening to this, that you can relate to that. Yeah, um, we are, we're like just a big state machine and this, There's this idea that we're moving from one state to the next and we're That your brain somehow comes along for this ride and then it's changing the condition that it's under. Uh, And that the driver of the car, you know, the thinker of the thoughts, somehow is participatory in the machine state. And the most interesting thing about meditation for me is there is no driver of the car. There is no, there doesn't have to be, that does not have to participate in the state. The state is just what it is. And that was really weird. To to get to that realization and to see that or feel that where the loss of self, even however temporary, in my young practice of only like three or four years, to feel the sense of self disappear and all that's left is the state. You, you people hear that and they go, "You're just lying. You're you're just you're making shit up. You want to sound like <laughs> you're important. You want to sound like you're cool and smart and doing something other people don't do and whatever hipster."
0: And I, it's the only way I can describe it. Well, and if you speak to anyone who's done this for any significant length of time, that's a theme that comes up over and over and over and over. So it's like, well, you haven't all got in a room and agreed to lie about this thing. There's something real going on here.
1: Maybe, or we all just share the same lie. I mean, it could be that, you know, your brain's being convinced that that's what you're feeling when you're not and yourself is leaving. But there's super small and easy tricks you can do to focus your attention and then when your memory, like the thing that's running in the background, remembering all your memories, whatever that's called, uh, hippocampus, I don't even know what the word is, whatever, but whatever it's doing, you realize that you don't quite have a memory of anything else but the sense of the sensation of whatever that was. You don't have the memory of the fact that you were meditating, like you, you, you do remember before when you started meditating and you do remember before that moment when you were feeling comfortable, whatever, but then after you remember what it was like to catch yourself and be like, wait, what your memory like takes us just a a little, like it it goes offline for a minute or two or it's that, that can be very interesting. Um, I'm not saying that happens all the time to me, but that, that also is very interesting.
0: Um, That's super rare. You know, a really interesting metric that I've noticed for myself is that I remember every single place that I've sat down to meditate, whether it was for five minutes or 30 minutes. It's that those experiences, as simple as they may seem from the outside, become really powerful to the point where they're significant enough to remember.
1: Well, and that's funny because I do remember Like I remember I was sitting in the car and I was driving to Phoenix and my arms were right in front of me. And I had this experience where I was just looking at my arms, but they were no longer my arms and I wasn't taking, you know, MDMA and I wasn't, you know, doing any fungus. I was just like not out of body, in body, that they were arms, but they they were not belonging to a person. And it was really weird. And I remember it because when I, I was like, I came out of it or whatever, but I I couldn't tell you anything else that was happening. I couldn't tell you what was on the radio. I couldn't tell you anything else about the experience except for that. I know that this happened, you know, it's, it was just weird because I have a semi-photographic memory. It's one of the ways I remember lines. And so my short-term memory is off the chain. And, like, if I walk into a place and I can tell, like, what people are dressed as and if the cop interviews me, like, 10 minutes after it, I can be like, this is exactly what everything looked like and it's pretty darn close. But give it a couple of weeks, man, as it start to fade away. And then years, I'm like, my brother has to remind me of something. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I did that. I was there. Um, so that helps learning lines because I can look at the lines. I can know what I'm about to say. I can put the paper down and say it. Super helpful in my line of work, right? On the motion capture stage where you have to wear the, the motion capture helmet like golemses. You have to wear the helmets and then you have to say, yes, precious. And you're, you're hopping around like a creature. You can't have the script in your hand. <laughs> so you, you you have to memorize it. So lucky that that's just a benefit of the way my brain is constructed. And uh, it gets better with practice, but I've always had it. I'm very good at it. And it's interesting that that tends to sort of get fuzzy and weird in those moments, even minutes after. I should have been able to know what everything was going on. So there's a part of my consciousness that's online. And when I'm meditating, it goes offline. That is linked to the perception data of I'm I'm collecting everything around me to the point where I can tell you, yeah, well, that she raised her hand just five minutes ago. And didn't you see she had a bracelet on and she's wearing a pink sweater? Yeah, she's right behind that guy, blah, 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 blah. And like
0: you turn around and that's the case. I've heard often that those who meditate often feel almost like it's a nap of sorts. You know, the way we describe a nap to like go get a tiny boost of energy, but it's, it's like a totally different approach and what you're describing reminds me of that it's like okay all of these systems that are active 100% of the time that your eyes are open during the day are just kind of shutting down in a very helpful way
1: yeah i guess i never really thought it like that like uh, systems offline jason's visual perception system <laughs> offline jason's memory system offline conserving energy in suspend
0: loss of self but not only conserving energy, but going to a completely different place, which is the, the fascinating thing.
1: I don't even know if this would be beneficial to anyone else. I talk about it. I say these are the benefits that I have derived from it. And even if that's psychological trickery and somehow I've managed to trick myself into this state of flow while doing nothing, <laughs> state of flow while not flowing, while not doing something, except for concentrating really hard on not doing anything, uh, that it's not, it's different than flow. But, and being that I derive this benefit is a fact to me. Whether it's it's true or not, I guess, right? It's just so weird. I mean, there's, there, there's scientific studies on the brains of meditating people and they have different wave patterns and they have different, you know, permanent states that are different than the states of the brain of people who don't meditate. So, I mean, there is scientific evidence for that. I don't know the efficacy of the studies. I don't know how the peer review has been, but I imagine it would be neat to continue to study it, to see if there's anything scientifically we can gain rather than just a I I feel better. Because there are people who put crystals all over themselves and feel better. I'm not one of those people. And I'm not one of the people who think, yeah, that's going to work. They're all different tools, right? Anytime you, you gather data about something, then you have at least a reasonable surety that another human who engages in a given practice can get a similar outcome or result. And so if you're hoping to help people that can only help to have the data no knock on people who just love to put crystals all over themselves you know you don't have to give me the hate mail because i'm not on social media i'm not on twitter or facebook or instagram i dumped all that stuff a year ago and i'm so much happier
0: could you think of one tip for someone who wanted to just kind of try meditation not necessarily dedicate to it but just give it like a you know a quick try just to see? I think Sam Harris's Waking Up app
1: is actually pretty darn good. I mean, I, I've used it also. I gave, shared it with my brother and my friend Nathan, and they've gotten good results. It's difficult to continue the practice. There is no tip for beginning. Yes, you can follow the first couple episodes, and it's he's a great guide for it. Um, the trouble with, like, Show me how to work out. Okay, great. I put my bicep here. I lock it at my hip, and I, I do a curl like this. Okay, I make sure that when I do my shoulder press, that the weight doesn't go too far behind my head. I go. Okay, great. You showed me how to work out. Now, getting my ass to work out—that is a totally different story, baby.
0: That's the hardest part, isn't it?
1: I know how to work out. I don't know why I'm not working out because it's difficult. It's hard. Even though I do see some result when I do work out and. that's the long
0: tail of meditation. You know, I said it often that uh, showing up is like 50% of the work.
1: It is. Uh, And the cool part is, is you can meditate anywhere with just even seconds. So you don't really have an excuse. You don't have to get your workout clothes or your yoga outfit. You don't have to do anything. You don't even have to be a quiet place, really, because you can start mindfulness by listening to horribly noisy things. So really, if you're looking at barrier to entry it's low you know i only need to buy a fitbit and the right shoes and i can meditate tomorrow so i feel like it's the, it's
0: it's easy to begin and probably difficult to continue like all good things um jason if you wanted to um put out a question to the community so, or or even something you'd like them to try or think about uh, is there anything you'd want to throw out there for for those who are listening? I would like to see people try to assess their
1: digital independence. I would like for them to understand what it means in when our the United States was formed and many representative republics, the idea behind it was the opposite of tyranny was we are sick of being told everything that we can do, we can say what we can. Believe or whatever, and I really would like it if we could have some independence and interact with each other on humans as as close to a level playing field as possible. Now I'm I'm fully aware that our country was founded by slaves. I didn't. I'm a third generation American, so I wasn't even here for that. But the idea that the country, the, our Constitution was written by people who were experiencing tyranny and wanted to escape that that If you could say to yourself, well, we're increasingly living in a world that does not have boundaries. I mean, the Great Firewall of China is there, but the internet exists. And the ability for us to get from one place to another via plane and talk to each other, and it's pervasive. So those type of boundaries are becoming less important. And what's more important now is your digital freedom. Your freedom to move ideas. Your freedom to move value around without gatekeepers and arbiters and tyranny is so valuable as our species steps into the next millennium uh, and things get increasingly away from using natural resources of the earth to move things around and just using ones and zeros. If you can explore the idea, the mental exercise of living in a world where your digital independence is as constricted as it would be in a world without a representative republic, a way to vote, even though a lot of people think that may not have an effect. It does. You're an incumbent and a whole bunch of people vote for someone else in the primary and you ended up not representing your party because they picked a different person from your party and they did what's, they incumbented you, <laughs> they primaried you. There's a fear there. There is a fear from the elected official that they could get voted out. Still exists. What would it be like in a world, a digital world, where those freedoms are gone? You don't have any choice what to use, what to think or read. It's being fed to you. You don't have a way to escape it because you have to do your banking and it's required
0: and you have to do your job and this is required and you can't get away. Yeah, I mean, those sound like extremely powerful perspectives and, and a little bit scary in, in many ways, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, I got, went all serious. I went 100% serious. Uh, and then people are listening to that and they're like, Well, I'm getting out the scissors now for a little self-mutilation. Thanks, Jason. You're really great. i going to have to up my Zoloft dosage. I really appreciate your podcast, Mr. Spizak. Just wait till I show up at your door with my unholstered rifle. <laughs> yeah, I unfortunately I, I don't I don't mean it in a depressing way. I mean it in a just think about that. You don't want that. Like all of a sudden, I was like, don't think about that. You don't want that. You'd like to live in a world where you have some choice. Digitally, you have a choice. And right now you think you have choices, like in consumer products and everything, but once you get down to only a few handful of companies controlling everything, I mean, ask people who live in a, an area where they can only get Comcast Internet and just magnify that times whatever products or services th- that you have to access. And believe me, every company wants a monopoly, even though it's really the worst way to do business and bad for a lot of things. They could be much more profitable if they don't usually, but it's easier not to compete. It just is. Uh, and open source has a way of ruining everybody's party. <laughs> I mean, if you're, a capitalist, if you're a capitalist and a monopolist or you're a, a corporation and you've got an open source competitor, you're like, ah, I can't get rid of this. I know. What do I do? Sue them? What, what, what do I do? Well, look, nobody would use it if you were not a turd. <laughs> so,
0: you know, don't be a turd. Yeah. One thing I really appreciate about like throwing your mind in those imaginations, uh, you know, to take them way over here, uh, you know, to stretch them as far as they can is that it gives you the sort of energy or the perspective or the will to, to say, Oh, okay, well maybe we're not that far, but we sure are going down that road. So what can I do in my own personal choices, To turn that around to things that I actually believe in much more. I find that change requires energy and
1: deriving energy from yourself and your own motivations is a talent and a personality trait. But I find that deriving energy from helping other people is almost universal. So there are many self starters, there are many people who can just be like, I want to change, I want to change tomorrow. I'm going to do that. And they do that. But they're almost universally, if you're helping someone and the two of you are doing it together or the three of you or the 20 of you and you feel like you're not alone in this endeavor and you might be doing someone else good and helping them,
0: for some reason, change isn't so hard then. I mean, you just described open source projects, right? The collaborations that happen. It's like, okay, well... We may have met a few of the people that we're interacting with to create these projects, or but there's this sense that you just want to make us all better in the process of collaboration, and as we've seen that that certainly happens That's what you would hope. so if you're looking for the energy to change, do it for a fellow human being. It'll help. Thank you so much for bouncing all these ideas around and sharing your perspectives. And uh, I've I've really I was really looking forward to doing this conversation. And, and the occasional silly voice, yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> if if you would give us one more silly voice of your choosing, it doesn't have to be silly. <laughs> would you have something in mind? <laughs> oh yeah, I need to give you some context. I know
1: I could do a really good Ollivander from Harry Potter. <laughs> <All right. laughs> I remember every wand I've ever sewed, Mr. Potter. It's curious that you should be destined for this wand when its brother gave you that scar. Oh, we do not speak his name, but he who must not be
0: named did great
1: things. Terrible, but great. Whatever, and I think it's clear we can expect great things from you. Anyway, whatever. that, Yeah, so I do a pretty good Ollivander. <laughs> Do I pause now? (laughs) No, you can do whatever. I mean, I could do just, I could do voices forever, man.
0: I love it. Of course. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's in you. You can't get rid of that, I think, right? No, I'm possessed. Thank you so much for connecting with us in the first place for sitting down with me and, and having a chat. I really appreciate it. And, uh, it's so great to know you're out there listening. That's, that's for sure. So thank you. Yeah. So you better do a good job. Yeah, thanks. Um, Can you give us a little outro? Just something real quick. Uh, Let's see. You have been listening to Brunch with Brent, an incomparable
1: smorgasbord of intelligent conversation and wit. If you desire to have more programs of this height of excellence, just log into Jupiter Broadcasting, and you will find a plethora of such treasures. Till next time. Adieu